Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you guys are doing well and ready for a great show. We are talking. The Brewers and Cubs have a real rivalry, and I am obviously here for it. We're going to do Draft Manifesto. We're talking interior defensive linemen. One of my big draft crushes is on this list. And then lastly, we will do a little more draft, um, but just me talking about Brian Gunacoust, maybe showing his hand, maybe not, throwing us off the scent, we'll see. Um, but we'll talk about Gunacoust's comments to Larry McCarron at the tail end of this show, but that will be solo without the Nolan Murphy. Although I would always like to have Murph. I don't think he would appreciate me calling this late as I'm taping this late into the Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. But let's start with the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Brewers lost today 3-2. Not too much going for the Brewers. Alex Mills, Alec Mills continues to own Milwaukee. If you remember, he pitched a no-hitter against the Brewers uh, back in September, which I forgot about. Like, I totally blacked that out. Like, I totally forgot that Mills had just an awesome game against the Brewers on the, I think it was the first football Sunday of the year. I'm pretty sure I wrote a blog that day of like, good thing the Packers are playing because no one recognized the no-hitter happened. And that's really good. And that was a low point of the Brewer season without question. It was not one that any of us were were happy about. And I'm really kind of glad I, I blocked that entire thing out. But yeah, Mills shoved it again. Woodruff pitched good. But really what mattered in this game were a couple things. One, Brandon Woodruff got hit in the back of the calf. It looked intentional. Woodruff had some words. He also had some words for Anthony Rizzo. It was not like they were exchanging pleasantries. Now, if you remember last week, the Brewers hit Wilson Contreras uh, in the shoulder. He got very mad about it. The Brewers were up for the nothing. It was the ninth inning. Nothing was malicious about it at all. They also did hit him in the head. Again, nothing malicious there. It was a bad pitch. Obviously, we were all glad that Wilson Contreras was okay. But then this week, and it just keep he keeps running his mouth about this. He keeps talking about it. He will not let the sleeping dog lie. He will not just forgive and forget. He has to hold a grudge. And he talked, uh, he got fined for the COVID protocols. And he said, oh, I was protecting my health. I was protecting my health out there. That's why I rushed I rushed the mound. And, <laughs> and, it, and who knows, right? So then you see Woodruff get hit. Uh, I believe Contreras did also get hit in this, this game. I think it was before that. I should have also backed that up. That Contreras got hit. It was kind of a close one, right? Woodruff kind of pitching in. Again, I don't think any intent. You got to remember, Contreras crowds the plate. He was, I think, the second of right-handed batters with hit by pitches last year. It is pretty common for him to get hit by a pitch. He somehow thinks the Brewers are out against him. Now then Contreras hits a home run to go ahead. Brent Suter, just one of the worst pitches I think I've seen all season, just right down the middle to Contreras, who absolutely crushes the baseball. Big bat flip. He was just took his time around the pads. Did the shush. Bill Schroeder not happy with it. Look, I know people, Bill Schroeder's audio got cut by the uh, Cubs social media team. 
And I wish Bill was a little less of an old man in that situation, but that's Bill Schroeder, right? Like Bill Schroeder is not going to give you the um, sort of the new age approach, right? He's going to give you that old man, get off my lawn type thing. And yeah, Contreras got to celebrate and good for him. I'm, I'm really happy that Wilson Contreras could actually get to celebrate something worth a damn because he's been terrible all year. So glad that Willie could get this one. And then after the game, of course, they want to talk to him. And Contreras says after the game, and this is from Brewmath, shout out to them who clipped it, that probably was a mistake by us. This is Contreras talking to the postgame people. Trying to hit the pitcher, I don't think that's the right guy to do it. If you want to hit somebody, it will have to be a position player. That is all that needs to be said. Ladies and gentlemen, Wilson Contreras should probably be suspended for tomorrow's game. David Ross also should be suspended. David Ross is a guy who does retaliation. He is a red ass. I'm not surprised that the, the Cubs are going after the Brewers. And as Brewmath said in his tweet, Brewers plus Cubs equals a real rivalry. Hashtag FDTC. And for those who don't know the hashtag FTC, that is fuck the Cubs. And let me tell you right now, this is as hot as the Brewers and Cubs have been as a rivalry, maybe ever. Like the Brewers and Cubs always fan-wise did not like each other. They didn't get along. They, you know, there have been fights. A Brewer-Cub weekend at Miller Park is an absolute shit show. Mostly because you get the dredges of the Cubs fans who can't afford to buy tickets at Wrigley Field. So they have to sully Miller Park. And then they just start shit with other Brewer fans and it's ugly and it's it's just a mess. It's just an absolute wreck. And actually, that's why going to games at Wrigley if a Brewers fan is a lot more enjoyable. I just think there's a lot of bad apples that Cubs fans bring into, into American Family Field. I almost did it again. I did it twice. I was going to let it go and then I did American Family Field that time. Okay, credit to me. But the fact is, is so fans always didn't really like each other. Fans always were were not a fan of each other. The players, it never really felt like it on the field, mostly because the Brewers and Cubs have not really had that year where they're going down to the wire on a pennant chase. It, it always seems like the Cubs had those really successful years, obviously in 2016 when they won the World Series and 2015, the Brewers really weren't kind of in contention at that time they were in their early rebuilding stages and then when the brewers got good recently the cubs were kind of they were there but they weren't really involved and when the brewers won the division in 2011 it was the cubs the lowly cubs who beat the cardinals to let the brewers clinch i believe on an alfonso soriano home run and then in 2008, when the Brewers got to the playoffs for the first time, they did beat the Cubs, the big Ryan Braun home run, but the rivalry has never been this real. And now I don't know if the Cubs are going to be good this year. I, I think the Brewers are going to be good, but I'm not sure about the Cubs. And it, it appears that the Brewers and Cubs have a real rivalry, that these two teams do not like each other. And it with rivalries... It doesn't help when you're playing each other a lot. So the Brewers and Cubs are now in their second of three series in April. They go to Wrigley next weekend, which will be very rowdy, um, if it, if any indication of these games. And 
they just they don't like each other. You can tell. You can tell there's a little bit extra right now, and I love it. Like this is what sports should be. And I, I don't mean to sound like an old man. I know I talked to the podcast yesterday about being old, but like this is what we need, right? We need to have this sort of everybody doesn't like each other, everything's tense, everybody's celebrating every moment. Like to watch Corbin Burns pitch against Wilson Contreras tomorrow is going to be electric. Now, I would imagine that the umpires are going to warn the teams before the game because the umpires hate to have fucking fun. But it's probably for the better. It's probably for the better so they don't have like a fight like the Astros and Athletics did early into COVID season. Everybody's worried about COVID. Cubs right now, actually, I don't think you want to fight the Cubs. The Cubs are having some COVID issues. Like, I do not want the Brewers to fight the Cubs because I don't want them to get COVID, man. Like, that's enough time barking at each other to get COVID. Like, we can't can't have that. We, we just cannot. The Fouch would not like that at all. So can we not get into a fight tomorrow? Like, please, or today, excuse me. Uh, can we just not? Like, I really do not want to get in a brouhaha with the Cubs. And, and let's be honest, like, Wilson Contreras is a shadow gangster. Wilson Contreras is as fake tough as anyone in the fucking league. That motherfucker is getting all upset about getting hit by a pitch. And I understand getting hit in the head, right? Like, look, I get it. Like, that would be terrifying. I hit a kid in the head once. I did not feel great about it. I'll tell you that right now. Now, was I throwing gas? No, I was not. But still, it's one of those things where he gets all bent out of shape last week. He fucking shits his pants about this whole thing. And then this week, you have Contreras who pimps a fucking homer. And it does the, the gesturing and the gestulations. And yet, he's still mad about getting hit by pitches. So decide. Decide what kind of guy you want to be. If you want to be a showboat, that's okay. Like That's great for baseball. Bat flips are good for the fucking sport. I will always condone a bat flip. That said, I don't condone hypocrites. I don't condone a guy who's getting mad about hit by a pitch but then he, he fucking flips his bat. He doesn't expect to wear one the next day. Fuck off. So I don't think Contreras is getting hit tomorrow. I, I would love odds, actually. That seems like a great bet for the Barstool Sportsbook. We can't gamble here because we have incompetent government and the Native Americans own our gambling. But it seems like a great bet to bet if Willie, Willie Contreras will get hit tomorrow. I would actually bet no. And I think I'd get pretty. I might get plus odds on that um, because I, I just don't think it's gonna happen. I, I think they everybody will be warned. It'll, it'll be a situation where no one's gonna try anything, and then Friday it, at Wrigley next week, Contreras is gonna wear one in the afternoon, and it that'll happen. I, I guarantee you guys. I'm going to Austin, Texas. Um, it's a little breaking news there. I'm going to Austin, Texas uh, next week. Uh, we'll have some pods. We'll have a pod on Thursday, actually. We're going to do the draft manifesto in full. So if you've missed an episode, we are going to run the entire episode, the entire manifesto, which I think is, God, I, I was trying to do the math in my head. I think it's about a two-hour show. So it'll probably be our longest show ever. 
Um, you just get Murph and I talking. Murph and I, I believe, are going to be doing Tapping the Keg the following week to talk about the draft. So it kind of be a prelude to us putting the final touches on the NFL draft. But going back to my trip, I'm going there, and the Brewers play the Cubs for the weekend, and the Bucks play the Sixers twice. And I miss all of those games. And I told my fiance, I was like, I don't really want to go the past weekend. I didn't want to go Masters weekend. Turns out probably could have been okay. It would have sucked, but I, I would have been all right. This was the weekend to go. There's not much going on sports-wise. Brewers are playing the Pirates. Bucks, I think, play the Grizzlies on, on Saturday. Like, this would have been the weekend to go. And yet, here I am with two Sixers games, two, three Brewer Cubs games. I'll be home for Sunday, so two Brewer Cubs games. Pain, man. What are you going to do? It happens. But the rivalry is real. These guys don't like each other, and I cannot wait for this afternoon. And I get Corbin Burns some runs. We might have to might have to do some sort of T-shirt of, like, Corbin Burns Run Appreciation Club or something like that, or the Corbin Burns Run Club. <laughs> kind of like that, right? Like the gun club, but the run club. We'll, we'll talk to Merch on that and, and just get back to you on if we like it or we don't. All right, enough talking. Let's get to the Murph. So we're talking edge ru- or def- not edge rushers. I keep wanting to say we're talking edge rushers. We're talking interior defensive linemen. Uh, those guys are your Kenny Clark types. So we're looking for the guy to sort of be right next to Kenny Clark. There is a guy here from Iowa that I absolutely fucking love. And I talk about him like he's my son. Um, he is easily in my top five draft crushes which kind of sounds like a good segment for next week. I'll write that one down. Um, but yeah, I'm all in. So you'll listen to me fawn it over him as well as some other guys. And here we go. All right. Another edition of Building Murph's Draft Manifesto. Interior defensive lineman. I feel like that's the way to call them IDLs if you're being a real professional. I feel nose tackle. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's funny when you're doing research for this type of stuff you have to really like pay attention to technique where these guys are protected to play because some aren't really three four defensive linemen so that is that's part of the challenge um i think it makes it a little interesting it also i think makes it hard to draft one of these guys this is the hardest between and we'll get to it and we can lay it out we're going to do a specific d lineman interior lineman and edge yeah breakdown i think this is the hardest position group in the nfl to draft yes in, in 2021 because as you just hit on the spread, how people translate. College defenses are so weird. They don't play. Um, if you're a run guy, you don't play that often. In the NFL, you really need to be almost a three-down lineman at this point. Right. And this is a position need again for the Packers. Um, they've been really looking to kind of shore up that interior defensive line with Kenny Clark. Let Kenny Clark kind of roam a little bit more. Kind of play a little outside. Now, they did bring back Tyler Lancaster, which I think was a little surprising. But For no money. It was oh, like yeah. $120,000 against no. the Cavs. And, and it was a smart move. I think Lancaster does enough. They have yet to make a move on Dean Lowry. So this could be a guy that would replace Dean Lowry. I don't expect them to, do, to reach into the first round to get somebody, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think it would actually drive Packer fans crazy. If they would draft someone in the first round. If Christian Barrymore somehow fell. I, I like Christian Barrymore. He's on my list. Okay. We can start. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, you think he's going to be there? I, he might. I don't know. I mean, he has a ton of upside. He's from Alabama. Um, I always like 
Alabama defenders. Nick Saban led. It was interesting. Did you see the comments from Saban about him criticizing uh, people who just stay in nickel defense? It was yeah, basically like it was a shot at Mike Pettin. Oh, I mean, he exactly. <laughs> yeah, Nick Saban is like probably the best defensive coordinator of all time, other than Bill Belichick. From what I've seen on Christian Baymore, I would love if he's there. I I know that this draft class does not have a top twenty defensive no. lineman. Um, it's actually not even a great edged uh, draft no. as well. But that would be amazing if he was there. Why did you like him? I I think he just has the. The potential to be a every down guy. I think he can rush the passer. I think he can make things difficult in the run. I think he's very athletic. I don't think it's one of those things where he's just a space eater. There's a guy, a couple guys here who I mentioned later who I have is like more space eater, snacks Harrison type guys. But the, I think Barrymore does everything. And so he kind of be an awesome compliment to Kenny Clark. Yeah, he's got a Derek Brown, JV on Kinlaw. That's what Pro Football Focus compared him to. That's awesome. If we yeah. can get That's Kenny Clark right there. Right, I mean, exactly. Basically, basically, you can get a guy that can play all three downs, can stop the run, and rush the passer. That would make our defense light years better. Because yep. we really haven't got any contributions um, other than Tyler Landis, Lancaster and Dean Lowry just getting run into and yeah. falling on people. That's right. about what they do. Exactly, yeah. They make a play, player to a game. But I'll tell you the guy, he wasn't number one on my list, though. The number one guy on my list might be a homer pick. He's from Kenosha, went to Iowa. Murph did a fist pump for those who are not. Davion Nixon, holy shit. I love this kid. He's out of Iowa. We've had some really good success with the Iowa Indian, guys. Went to Indian Trails. I mean, yeah, super athletic. Gets after the quarterback. Can play in a three-four system. Sign me the fuck up. I think this guy is awesome. Like I, I, I became really into this pick. Like I just, I started like watching. I was tape. I was like grinding it. I'm like, this guy is a Packer, and I'm like, I don't want to see him. Uh, spoiler alert. I don't want to see him on another team. In the NFC, like I just think he's going to be a really good player, and I don't hate going back to the well with Iowa guys. Yeah, I mean it's worked out very well, you know, with Mike Daniels over the years. A guy I liked a lot from uh, LSU specifically is Tyler Shelvin. He's like your plug and play. On my snacks, list. On my list. Snacks Harrison. Yep. I mean that's what that's how we get Kenny Clark outside is just right. by having a young athletic. Grady Jackson, basically. Yes, exactly. We, we've always, you know... Uh, big Howard Green. Big Howard Green, exactly. Fucking the Packers Howard have Green. had those for years. Another guy I liked a lot, I will try not to butcher his name, from the Ohio State University, uh, Tommy uh, Togaya. Uh, okay. He is a defensive tackle. I watched a few of his games. He didn't play a ton in 2020, um, but he's a guy that's been able to get pressure, so... That's why I looked at that. I like Big Ten linemen. Call me a homer. But this is also a very thin class. Like, yeah. I'm not watching tape from McNeil State on no. defensive tackles. No. Can I ask you, do you have Marvin Wilson on your list? I do not have Marvin Wilson Oh, so no, it's not – that's crazy. Like, that seems like such a Murph pick. Like, a guy who might fall – Went to Florida State. Right, <laughs> who falls to, like, third or fourth pick – or third or fourth round because he, he was a former, like, top ten pick. Everybody – was so hyped and his career just kind of went wayward. I would have sworn that Marvin Wilson would have been a guy for you. Yeah, I just didn't like that he came back for a senior year and didn't do jack shit. Everyone compared him to Derek Brown and he didn't have. They wanted him to come back to be Derek Brown, who has been okay in the pros. But do you wonder? Okay, so let me just. Add, I'm not trying to defend like Wilson because I'm not like all in in the bag on Wilson. He's on my list because I just think it's a value pick, right? If he's in the third or fourth round, why not, right? Yeah, and hope he. But here would be my case for Wilson if I was in the room with Goody. I'd be like, all right, 
this kid had to play a new system with Mike Norvell in his senior year. He did decide to come back. Should he have maybe transferred to a new a new system? Probably. But he didn't. So he tried to learn this new system. It didn't work out well. Yeah, there's some questions about his work ethic, but we can figure that out when he gets here and make make that happen. I always think like the work ethic comments, I know it was a lot about Justin Fields this week, I think are a little, which was bizarre, but I think they're also overrated because I think that can be, you can get out of that. I think as you got to start looking the, as these play, players as individuals, right? Like I didn't have the best work ethic from 18 to 24. And I figured my shit out as I got older. I think that happens with with NFL players too. I think it just it's sometimes natural a natural progression. Florida State's been a complete dumpster fire since I feel like yeah. know, Bobby Bowden left. I'm right. just kidding, Jimbo Fisher. But uh, <laughs> it's tough to look at that. Where did you have Levi or was Levi Unuwurzerski from Washington on your list at no, all? No, he was not. And is that because Danny Shelton hasn't? You know, Danny Shelton's still in the league. He just recently got signed, but like, do you just not like that Danny Shelton, Vita Vey? You know, Washington kind of turns I, out these I, interior defensive linemen. So linemen. I guess my thing there is just like, is that is that really what the Packers? I guess you you move Kenny Clark outside. You could sell me on that. I think I I think I could get down with that more than I think about it. Didn't play in 2020. There's a lot of defensive tackles that didn't play. Okay, so in that's a huge red flag for me um, because. That's a position where I think you need to keep playing. I think there was a podcast, I don't know, was it wide receivers we were talking about this, where I kind of said, like, you need to keep playing to kind of, and also to these are big boys. These are guys we talked about the buffet line with the offensive line. These are guys who are eating and like they're gonna need time to get back in shape. That would be my immediate worry with someone who was on the defensive line that did not play last year. Are they going to be in shape, ready to go for OTAs at the start, or are they is it gonna be a complete mess, and they're going to have to spend the entire year on the practice squad getting them, re- you know, into game shape. That's a fair point. Definitely something. You know, the USC kid didn't also play in 2020, so that could be a red flag. Who else is on your list? Um, another guy I had. So I had Sherman Barrymore. We went through a lot of them. I had Aleem McNeil. He's a project, former uh, high school linebacker from NC State, ton of potential. So he's not an immediate contributor. So this is not a guy I'm drafting right away. It's a guy in the later rounds that I, I like and I feel like he could just be a guy that you build and you draft and develop it, into the, the Packer way. I'll throw Jerome Johnson in there from Indiana, another Big Ten guy. Also, uh, Terrell Slayton from Florida. He can play inside or outside. Um, you know, Florida had a good defense last year. Right. Florida, I mean, again, I don't think you're going going wrong by drafting. These guys don't jump off like right. unless you're Mike unless you're Mike Mayhawk and looking at the one and two gap. <laughs> like you're not going to recognize these guys unless they're getting sacks. And we don't need these guys to get sacks. No. We just need them to do their job. Well, here's the thing, and here's how I would I would ask Packer fans to look at this and people who are listening to this. Look up any of these guys and say, is this guy going to be more impactful than Dean Lowry? Is this guy going to be more impactful than a Snacks Harrison if he's like a Shelvin or? Uh, the guy you mentioned from Washington, I can't pronounce the last name. Um, Levi. We'll just Levi, go yeah, Levi. Like, it, are they going to be more impactful than what you're seeing on the field now? And I think they are. And I think there is an athleticism. And, like, Dean Lowry's fine. He's serviceable. But he's just not an athletic. And I'm sorry. He just doesn't have it. And a lot of these guys that we're mentioning, Nixon, Barrymore, uh, uh, McNeil, Wilson, they're all more athletic than Dean Lowry. They just are. And I think that just makes the Packers – Faster and and better. Speaking of run stuffing nose tackles, we know that Goody 
spent a lot of time wasted watching Zach Wilson tape because that's just what he does. Thinks he's a quarterback connoisseur. Uh, Chris Tonga from BYU oh, probably yeah. popped yeah. out on some of the BYU tape. He yeah, looked he's a big even boy. Up. I mean, he yeah. is a he is a big three twenty one six four. Uh, runs a five four eight. Could you run a five four eight? You think? <sighs> Maybe. I don't know. I, I haven't ran a 40 since I was 20. We're, we're throwing darts here. But, you know, maybe fifth, seventh round pick. Just a nose tackle we can plug and play. And and so, okay, so let me ask you this. Let's let's take that into another way. Would you would you like a draft where, say they draft a guy like a Nixon type, where he's all over the field, he does a little bit of everything, and then they also go back into the interior line and draft more of a run stuffer later? 100%. I want us to get a Mike Daniels, Jarrell Casey, a guy – that can just make us look versatile on yeah, defense. Absolutely. That Kenny can play inside sometimes, outside. Maybe we finally have Z put his hand down more. Just I want us to have different looks on those front four, front five, front three, whatever we're running. Yeah. And bouncing off of that, like if you want to have a Vic Fangio system, which is what apparently the Packers want to do and what we've been told that Joe Barry is is going to try to run, don't you want to try to get that Akeem Hicks guy? Or is that Kenny Clark? I don't know. I, I think I would think Kenny Clark's better than Akeem Hicks. He is better than Akeem Hicks, but I don't know. I mean, the Bears, Roy Robertson Jr. was a monster last year. He got a big contract from the Jaguars. Like, the Bears don't run as much of what Fangio used to do, but you want to make sure you have those defensive linemen, and I just don't think the Packers are there yet. It's Kenny Clark and everybody else. It needs to be Kenny Clark, a guy like Nixon or Barrymore, and then everybody else. So they, they do need that one more guy. So I, I think... The more we talk about it, the more I think about it. It is more of a position of need than maybe I gave it credit for. Christian Bear, I think it's a position of, uh, of need up front, but it's one that you address right away and then kind of circle back. The only guy I don't want is Christian Barrymore going to the Vikings. Because yeah. they need an improved defense. Uh, yeah, you could put the Bears in there too, having to replace some guys. But, you know, the Vikings defense was bad last year. And the last thing we need is them to have this souped up Mike Zimmer defense. Alabama product. He's. It's odd. You know. Usually we have like five guys from Alabama that are in the interior. Yeah, we don't. And it's just an odd draft this year. Um, you know, with kind of this side of the defensive ball. Yeah, I would. I would put Barrymore. I'd also say Nixon would be a problem in a Vikings or Bears uniform. Just because of the Wisconsin connection, the Packers passed on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Little chip on his and shoulder. He feels a little Mike Danielsy. He really does. And I. It's. It's so hard to do that, right? Because he's an Iowa guy. He's. You know, a little has that little undersized. Like I love him. I, I think he's great. You think he's a Bears fan growing up in Kenosha? You never know be. down there in K-Town. He might be. He might be. I don't know. Um, but I heard a place in K-Town that has really good Long Island. It's called a Boathouse. We'll have to check it out. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, that's defensive interior alignment. I think we're good there. Yeah. No, there's just no generational um, Aaron Donald type here that's going to go in the top 20. Well, I think as uh, we have learned by doing this practice, you know, this is now another thing where running backs was kind of a dud. Tight ends, also not really much. And... Interior defensive lineman, not really much. And, and we kind of talked about maybe this draft isn't that good, um, just in general. And now we've now seen three positions that are a little just okay. And we'll get to the edge next, but I will, for those hanging on, the linebackers in secondary is next level talent. I do yeah. think I think this yeah. is a back half of the, the defense uh, type of draft. I feel like I'm talking like Lewis Riddick right now. <laughs> uh, but when we hear you next... Or when you hear us next, excuse me, we will be talking edge. Living Pro- on the edge! Probably the hardest position, I think, to draft the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's, it's, it's gotten worse as, you know, it, edge has become a, basically a position. Um, so we'll talk to you guys next about edge. See you. 
we're getting down. We're now on to defense, and we are on our way to edge rushers on... I wrote it out, actually. I can tell you when we are doing edge rushers here. It's good radio. We are doing edge rushers on Friday. So stay tuned for that. We'll do edge rushers on Friday. And then next week, we will have linebackers on Monday. So you're going to get a lot of Murph. And then secondary on Wednesday. So got a lot of manifestoing to do, manifesting to do in the next few days. But other draft stuff, uh, Brian Gunacoust was on with Larry McCarron on Total Packers. And he told Larry McCarron that secondary and the offensive line are the two deepest positions in the draft. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean it is a tell that the Packers are going to draft a offensive lineman or a secondary member in the first round? On contraire, Moan Frere. I actually don't think it is. I'm going to kind of zag here a little bit. I think what that says more than anything else is I think that's Brian Gunacus telling the Packer faithful without actually saying it. We feel really good that we could draft a starting corner or a starting tackle in the second, third, maybe even fourth round, and that we are going to get a position either not maybe not of need, but somebody who can immediately fill a role in the first round. We're going to get the best player available. And so if the best player available ends up being a cornerback, even though what we said that this is the deepest position, don't be surprised if we don't draft another quarterback cornerback later in the second or third round. As some people have wondered if the Packers are going to go with the Kevin King Demarius Randall route or if they're going to go with something something similar uh, that they've done. They've doubled up, tripled up in the past. They did it with running backs. They've done it with wide receivers. Um, they've done it with corners multiple times. There was another year where they drafted Antoine Edwards, Fred Vincent, Mike McKenzie. Those are some names. I kind of forgot about Fred Vincent, uh, Mississippi State, Antoine Edwards, Clemson, Mike McKenzie, Memphis. Holla at your boy. You're like, Charlie, do you even need to know that? No, I don't. But I, that's the type of content I bring to you. But I don't know if they're going to just immediately say, all right, that's that's what we're doing. It's down to an offensive lineman or a secondary member. I think the Packers can do multiple things in the first round. They have been known to be unpredictable. Um, they, they are definitely a wild card. I think what makes them even more of a wild card is the fact that Brian Gunacoust has moved up in each of his drafts. So he definitely is not afraid to vault his way to the top spots. And that may not the top spots, but a reasonable spot and give up some draft capital to get there. I realize that Jordan Love was not the player that a lot of people wanted, but as I've pointed out before, and I'll point out again, Isaiah Wilson and Jeff Gladney were the picks after him. Jeff Gladney's going to jail for being a scumbag piece of shit, and Isaiah Wilson's probably out of the league. So tell me again why Jordan Love was such a bad pick. Is is yeah they're gonna they're gonna go after somebody probably early on. I will be shocked if the Packers pick at twenty nine. I just don't expect it. I expect the Packers to pick somewhere, you know, nineteen, maybe twenty one. I think they're going to make a move. I think they are going to make a significant move at some point. And I think to go ahead of the Bears 
would be the way to do it. Now, could they go ahead of the Vikings as well? Maybe. I think the Packers are going to want to assess what their rivals might do and if their rivals are going to draft a guy they want. Who knows if they drafted Justin Jefferson and that drove Brian Gunnikus crazy, right? I know the Brandon Ayuk thing did with San Francisco. And yeah, you could argue we got beat by the 49ers, but I don't know if they even expected them to take Ayuk. And Jefferson, I think, was another guy they really wanted. So the question is, will the Packers wait? Or if they start seeing a run, will they make an immediate move? Now, the one thing that I am really curious about, and I've said this on on the podcast a few times, but it's Bears repeating. I am really interested to see if the flashy players are really going to go all in the top 10. Like if we are really going to have a situation where three quarterbacks get drafted, Kyle Pitts gets drafted, then you have a couple wide receivers go, and maybe at that point you get a tackle. So again, we have no defenders, nothing. You just heard us talk about interior defensive linemen. It's not that special. Uh, there's no Aaron Donald type, I think, as Murph has said on said on the show. So are, are we going to really just knock all these linemen back? Are we going to knock all these corners back? Like, is there a chance like Patrick Sertain moves out of the top 10? And if that means that Sertain's out of the top 10, does that mean a guy like J.C. Horn is going to be hovering around 15 or 16? And maybe a guy like Caleb Fairley will actually be available in the 20s or Greg Newsom for that matter? Like, I, I really do think that there is going to be a cascading effect and that it's going to play, it's going to in, be a very interesting, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because you could argue that getting a bunch of splashy players does great for NFTs, sporting cards, jerseys, marketing, but will it actually lead to on the field results? I don't know. The fact that the Bengals think they're good enough with their offensive line because they patchwork things together this offseason is very Bengals. That they're going to get Jamar Chase to keep Joe Burrow happy instead of actually getting Panay Sewell. Unbelievable. And if a guy like Christian Derrishaw falls or Rashawn Slater for the Packers from a tackle perspective, you go get him. And I don't think Brian Gunacoust is afraid. And I know that people like to paint Goody in some way and it's all ridiculous. But Goody ain't, ain't no bitch. Goody's going to make a move at some point. When that move happens, I don't know. And the fact that he likes offensive linemen and secondary can tell you one of two things as we wrap this show up. It's either that's what they're going to get early or it's what we're going to see the most of from Green Bay when it's all said and done. That they have two or three linemen drafted. They have one or two secondary members drafted, maybe a third. And that's what the Packers are going to build their draft on. So we'll see. I'm excited. I can't wait. We're about two weeks away, getting closer and closer, and it's going to be a good one. That will do it for the show today. We we didn't really do the Bucks temperature check. Uh, Boston, suddenly hot, um, where I would probably right now have the Heat as the team I least want to see. The Heat are right now the sixth seed. Who the Bucks would be playing in the first round? Number two, I would say Atlanta. No, number two, or it should go from least to most like or most want to play heat are the least likely for sure 
Boston's number two. They're hot. They're playing well at the right time. And it would be a slog to face Tatum and Brown for an entire series. Number three, probably Atlanta. Even though I think playing Atlanta would be great. Um, the Knicks at four, I, while playing Tibbs would be like chewing nails, I think they'd win in four or five games, but it still would be just a slugfest. Number five, probably Charlotte. Charlotte, I know they just beat the Bucks, but the Bucks had nobody playing. Charlotte's out, Gordon Hayward and LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball, now with Tiana Trump, apparently, which, I mean, good for LaMelo, but man, the jokes, dude, is it worth it even with the jokes? Like that, the same question goes to the guy who just was engaged to Riley Reed. Like, is it worth the jokes to be to be married to to that woman? Same with same question for Lamelo dating. Like Tiana Trump. I mean, first of all, if you don't go to a Twitter account if you're working or on your work computer, but Tiana Trump basically like shows herself sucking dick and is very proud of it on her Twitter page. Riley Reed has also been very open on, on Twitter about what she does on a day-to-day basis. I, I just, I mean, good for these guys. Like, you just have to be, like, you have to be social media blind. Like, you just have to not have social media or just not involve yourself with it and just live your life. And, like, don't even ignore it. Maybe mute them. Maybe like mute the name so it doesn't get in your mentions. I don't know, man. More power to them. But yeah, Charlotte would be the last one. So there we go. Did a little Bucks temperature check there at the end. Podcast having the keg back tomorrow. Mitch and I, actually, because the Bucks and Timberwolves are playing at 3.30, Mitch and I can talk about Bucks Wolves uh, before our podcast. That's incredible. Uh, we'll also talk Brewers Cubs. Um, and anything going on there. I'm sure a whole bunch of other things because that's how Mitch and I do. All right, take care, guys. Have a great Wednesday. Oh, it's 414 Day. Should have wished you that earlier. My bad. All right, happy 414 Day. Uh, Enjoy it. Do whatever you need to do. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.